looking into the face of Jesus. We will pray and read the word of the Lord. It's funny in my notes here, it says review quickly. I wonder what that means. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And Father, as we meditate upon your word, may we be overwhelmed with the person of Christ. And Father, may we decrease as he increases. And Father, may it be him seen more and more in our lives at every moment. To your praise, to your glory, in Christ's name. Amen. 318. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is kind of a bracketed statement here between verse 18 and verse 6. We behold in a mirror, in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the face of Jesus. Right, and that's that's the issue that is at hand. We understand that as we look at the face of Jesus, things happen. And you can't be saved if you have not beheld the glory of God in the person of Christ. When I behold the glory, I see the manifestation. When you see the word glory, you're looking at the attribution nature of God is seen in the person of Jesus. When Moses says, show me your glory, he says, I'll hide you in a cleft of the rock and I will show you my grace and mercy. Okay, so we've got that all clear now, right? So when I am looking into the face of Jesus, we've already looked at it, is a look that clear. It's not veiled. We with unveiled face behold in the mirror the image of Christ. All right, it's not veiled, it's not mysterious, it's not cloudy. It's, it's not a shadow or a picture or a type or a method. It is the person of Jesus Christ. We also seen that as long as I keep looking upon that face of Jesus, I will be transformed. Verse 18, second part of it says, you are being transformed into what? Do you read it? What does it say? The same image. What image is that? The manifestation of the glory of God. 
The longer I look at Jesus, I am transformed and I will literally start showing the nature and attributes of Yahweh. Somebody ought to be excited about that. (laughs) I mean, I just sit there and go, oh, what? That's amazing. And you know what it takes on your part? Read your Bible. You got to go look at it. I know a lot of people in the evangelical body today who have conjured up what Jesus looks like. What is he like? And yet I have 66 books and you go through all 66 of them. You see what Jesus is like. And yet, for whatever reason, that's just beyond us. It just just takes too much time. Too much time? Too much time to dwell on the person of God. Well, what are you dwelling on? And that's what I see as it's killing the church in America. Actually, history says that that kills the church. If you look at it, Europe used to be an extraordinarily strong evangelical community. Now they have great cathedrals. Okay, uh, England used to have some of the most powerful expositors and theologians that the world has ever seen. The United States was founded on deep, deep theology and the Great Awakening and Jonathan Edwards and all of these people who had all this massive influence. And now look at us. We are trying to build great cathedrals look at my church house and it's the way it goes but if I look at the face of Jesus then I am transformed into the same image once that process begins to happen then chapter 4 verse 1 we see that that look strengthens us Verse 4, we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. The word in the original language is we are not prone to cowardice. I will not be swayed. I will not be a coward. You will not make me shut up. Okay, why? Because I understand the mercy that I have received. And there's too many times we have cheapened grace. And, and I don't understand how you even walk down that road, except for the fact you don't look at the face of Jesus. Remember what salvation is in John 6, 40? This is the will of the Father. That you behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And whoever does that by, and believes, I will raise up. Okay, that's salvation. That's salvation. So it will strengthen us. Last week we looked at it, purified us. The second part of verse 2, or the first part of verse 2, we renounce the hidden things because of shame, not walking in craftiness. Craftiness. It literally means in the original language, whatever it takes to achieve my goal. Okay, now you will hear it said, well, I'm just trying to win souls for Jesus. Whatever it takes. That's why you can go to a church today in downtown Denver called Bible and Beer. It's at a bar. You sit down and get your big mug. And you and several of your contemporaries can discuss theology. Before I got saved, we were always told you didn't discuss theology or politics at the bar. 
Things have changed. That's the stuff that you and I need to be aware of. That's what's going on. When you behold the face of Jesus, you're looking at the purity of God, the holiness, perfection of God. If it's clear and it's transforming and strengthening me, then it will be purifying me. There will be things that will be stirred up and you will sit there and go, Oh, I didn't realize. I'll move away. Which brings me to point five. Second part of verse two. A look at loving truth. A look at loving truth. When I look at the face of Jesus, it is a look at loving truth. Truth. Adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. It's, 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 it's kind of like looking at truth and loving it. Has anybody ever read your Bible and, and, and you, a verse or a paragraph and it just rubs you the wrong way? Like, what? Right? And so you just sort of ignore that one. I'll skip on over. Okay? Those who are saved when they are confronted by truth, even when it hurts, they love it. They love it. Jesus said, I am the truth. Okay? I am the truth. When you look at truth, you are looking at Christ. Listen, we compromise it. I, I hear it on a regular basis. Why are we, you know, Jim Packard, J.I. Packard, some of you all know him. He wrote some heady books on the holiness of God. You just sort of get away from it and go, uh-oh. Okay, he's with the Anglican Church. Does everybody know what's going on in the Anglican Church? Okay, they're, they're wanting to start ordaining homosexuals. He left the Anglican church, ah, it's probably been eight or ten years ago. And the reason that he left it is that they were even debating it. I agree. Why would I debate that? I mean, it, it's like uh, homosexual marriage. It's impossible. There's no such thing. It's utterly impossible. Who created marriage? God did. And he made it between man and a woman. So whatever you want to call it, it ain't marriage. Okay? I mean, I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. How old is the earth? I can tell you. I've got it narrowed down within about 150 years. 5860 is what I came up with. That would be 5,800 and 60 years. Okay, now, I didn't get really specific. I just went by the longevity of individuals. Adam died at this age. Methuselah died at this age. Noah died at this age. You can just kind of crank it through and see how it goes. you got 400 years in between um, Malachi and the gospel. And you just it's not really that difficult. And you come up with it. And I remember when I was teaching through Genesis, I kept thinking, it's got to be more than that. But I was wrong. No, about 58, 60. I may be off by 100 or so right here. I did it very quickly. It was, you know, I just did these guys. Here's how long they lived. Okay. 
And everybody looks at you. You're telling me? Yeah. Well, light travels at the speed of light. Yes, I know. But if you read Genesis, you'll see that he hung out there, the planets, and then the next day he put light on them. Okay? If it takes time for light to travel, ask yourself a simple question. Who created time? This isn't complicated. You know, my son was struggling with it. He's a geologist and he was, the rocks are gazillions of years old. Okay. And he says, dad, science says, and I said, I got to ask you one question. He was really struggling with it. And he says, dad, I just can't, you can't look at sedimentary this and this and that and all the rest of it. I said, Jim, let me ask you one simple question. And he said, what's that? I said, how old was Adam when God created him? Uh, I don't know. I mean, did Mother Nature raise him or what? How, did it, how old was he? He says, well, he was a man. So God already created Adam with age. That's not hard. But it's truth. And you and I are bombarded daily to reject truth. Every day. Every day. I guarantee you. It's an onslaught that at times you're not even aware of it. Though he slay me, I will bless his name. That's what Job said. And that's when Job had a real bad week. Okay. And yet, how many times do you reject him in the course of a day? Just because I got this to do or that to do or whatever to do. When one becomes a Christian, they will fall in love with truth. If you do not have a love for the word of God, go back one step. Okay, now everybody says, well, but you don't understand. Okay, let me give you another verse of truth. Second Thessalonians. Some of you went through Second Thessalonians with me. It's been a while, hasn't it? Second Thessalonians chapter two. I want you to remember this verse. Verse 10. 210. Okay, he's speaking of the lawless one will be revealed from the Lord and will slay with his breath of his mouth and bring an end to the, by the appearance of his coming. This is the second coming of Christ dealing with judgment. That is the one who is coming in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. Okay, this is that conclusion of the age. And with all deception of wickedness for those who perish... Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. People will be judged and perished that did not receive the love of the truth to be saved. Got that? If you do not have a love for the truth, then you are on the judged and perishing list being saved means you love truth it is that simple it is that simple ask yourself a question if you've got a hectic day coming up do you reject the word of god 
for the hectic parts of the day or you reject the temporal side to maintain your time in the Word of God. I was reading, and I can't remember if it was Martin Luther or John Calvin. If he had a busy day in front of him, he normally started his day at 5 a.m. If he knew it was going to be more busier than the other times, he would get up at 2 so he could spend time in the Word and on his knees to confront the busyness of the day before him. Do we do that? Or do we just, well, I'll just pray silently as I'm driving to work because I'm going to be busy. I will honestly tell you, you're not looking at the face of Jesus and you're preparing for failure because you're not having a love of truth. What happened the first time you saw Jesus? Was you overwhelmed? The first time you fall in love with truth? Truth incarnate, truth revealed, truth becomes the issue of our lives. And it grows. The love of truth. If you go back to your text, it says, he says, I have renounced the hidden things. I have renounced the shameful things. You know what the shameful and hidden things are? The lies. If you do this, you will be happy. If you have one of these, you will be blessed. If you have this relationship, it is truly awesome. And you just fill it up, fill it up, fill it up. And every time you're doing that, you're rejecting truth because your sufficiency is in the person of Jesus Christ. Your happiness is from Jesus Christ. Your joy is from Jesus Christ. Your peace is from Jesus Christ. Your hope is from Jesus Christ. Your contentment is from Jesus Christ. And yet you and I are very bad at filling that with all kinds of silliness. The false are busy adulterating the word of God instead of manifesting the truth of God. 2 Corinthians 2.17, if you remember, we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. There are those who are in the pulpits today. There are those who are in the body of Christ who are con men and they are cheating people. They are frauds. And Paul says, those things he has renounced. It may be that they had accused Paul of adulterating Scripture, leaving out the mosaic part. You know, you see that in Galatians. Yes, the gospel. You've been saved by grace through faith, but you must be circumcised. That's adulterating the word of God. It's not what it says. Circumcision was a picture of a circumcised heart. 
This is good. The word adulterating here. Adulterate. It, it has in mind to tamper with it. Okay. Um, uh, secular Greek uses it, speaks of diluting wine with water. Okay. Paul is saying there's nothing clever. Paul says, I'm very straightforward. I, I see it today. People don't want straightforward. I, I made a comment in our Sunday school class. We want to dialogue. Let's discuss scripture. That's fine. But as soon as I hear those dreaded words, I think it means. No. <laughs> that, that's not the way the book was written. There he is, straightforward and blunt again. He wrote it in a context for it to mean something, not I think it means. If you think it means, go back and look at it again. God's not hiding this thing. He says, I have a secret code here, and if they get the paragraphs in the right order, they'll understand exactly what it is I've said. No, he knows we're too stupid for that. He says, I wrote it just straightforward and blunt. There, there's what it says. And then we go, but I wonder what he meant. Look at our news. You get somebody makes a speech and then you get all these people tell you what he just said. Hey, it drives me nuts. Okay, I have people who do it to me, but I wonder what he really meant. Let me tell you something. If I said it, I really meant it. Okay, and there, well, but could it be? No. If that's what I was going to say, I would have said it that way. And then you get the people who say, well, it's just the way you say it. Okay. I don't tamper with. Paul never tampered with. He never diluted. That's why we struggle with some of the writings of Paul. I will not have women teach over men. Eve was deceived by the craftiness of Satan. Well, what did he mean by that? Oh, no. I think Satan's got your ear. The crafty old bugger still got you. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? Because they, they, were, they are tricked. That's how it started. If you don't believe me, then I will ask you to look at grace today in the body of Christ. And tell me that it has not been adulterated. How can you say you are saved by grace and exist in boastfulness or pride? Because as soon as you step into that, then grace is useless. What you have begun in the spirit, you are now perfected in the flesh. Paul told the Galatians. You know what? One thing that I can actually say for sure, emphatically, Paul never watered it down. It's never diluted. You don't believe me? Have you not read? Read him. He had no, no use for the wisdom of men. He had no use for philosophy. He just proclaimed pure, unadulterated, clear truth of God. Period. 
Now, here's the issue. Humanity has an overwhelming desire for cleverness. Okay? Go look at churches today and tell me that ain't what they're trying to do. They got auto. You can go to seminary now and learn how to do audio visual uh, worship services. Brilliant idea. What happens when the electricity goes out? I remember preaching with a guy had a, one of them Palm Pilot things and his text and notes would scroll. And it was really cool because if he wanted to go faster, it'd go a little faster. If he wanted to slow down a little bit, he could slow down a little bit. And I thought, man. That is totally awesome. He says, well, you know, I just put it on my computer and then I download it on my phone and it just scrolls through. And I was like, oh, dude, it'd take me forever to figure out how to do that. Jesus already come back and we'd all be knowing as Jesus knows. And I'm still going, how do you get this thing to scroll? We were preaching in Memphis and he was using it and it was cruising along and he was standing there with his little phone thing there and he stopped with this puzzled look on his face. And I looked at him. He says, anybody got a Bible? And I said, what? He says, my battery died. <laughs> yes! I don't even write my stuff on a computer. Mine are all legal pads. You know what? When the lead breaks in my pencil, I sharpen it. Okay? People want cleverness. I've seen it. It's It's everywhere. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 3 and 4, people will heap to themselves teachers that what? Tickle their ears. Make me feel good. I had a bad week. I want to be entertained. I want to see something clever. Can you make explosions behind the pulpit when you preach? You know, Roman candles. That I get it. You know, the fog thing. Whatever. And I, I see it. You just sit there and scratch your head and think, that's silly. Preach the word. Clear. Pure. It transforms, it strengthens, it purifies. And those who are truly saved are going to love it. Paul says he's not interested. He does not tamper with the word of God. He does not dilute the word of God. He gives the pure gospel. And any new covenant person of Christ knows the person of Christ through the word and the work of Christ through the word. The deception that I see in the church today is because the people don't know. They've never read. Somebody told them. I had an experience. If I see somebody act completely loopy and it's in church, it's got to be of God. Why? Because they're in church. They gotta be of Christ. Well, that's like saying you're standing in a garage, you're a car. That don't work. Paul believed the truth would do its work. When I preach the word, I always preach for change. And I know that the change will either come through conviction or comfort. And there's no options. The manifestation of the truth. And it says here, look what it says. But by the manifestation of truth. Okay, who was the manifestation of truth? Jesus. We preach Christ and him crucified. The manifestation of truth. Commending ourselves to what? 
Every man's conscience. Do you get that part that says every? Okay, you know which ones that would be? Listen, I know emphatically. I know it by my time in the Word of God. I know it in my 50-some years of life on this planet that God has made every single human being with a conscience. It's a given gift. Romans chapter 2, 14 and 15 tells me that every man has a conscience. Everyone. I don't care. Well, what about Adolf Hitler? What about him? Still had a conscience. Still had a conscience. Saddam Hussein's got a conscience. Joseph Stalin's got a conscience. The law of God has been written in the heart of humanity. And it bears witness to the heart. That's what the conscience does. God put it in every human heart. Now, we can abuse our conscience. We can sear it. Literally brand it. Make the skin callous and so it's not sensitive anymore. A lot of what you see in quote-unquote drug addictions or alcohol addictions or any kind of addiction now is to appease the conscience. You ever heard the country and western song, they all look beautiful at closing time or something like that? Why? Because I've taken alcohol has just completely obliterated my conscience. God has put that into every human heart. So when Paul confronts the human heart with the truth, then it rings true in the human conscience. Okay? What's the point? Listen, the conscience is God-given. Okay? It's a warning system. That's all it is. That's what your conscience does. I don't think this is going to come out all right. Okay, and then you can just fill in the blank. Well, what could that be? It should be anything. The conscience reacts to what it hears on the basis of truth. God placed in the very fabric of humanity, of, of human life. Romans 1 says that it is so woven into the fabric of humanity, there is so much truth that is there in the makeup of humanity that they are without excuse. Those who are condemned to hell, it is not for a lack of truth. It is for a lack of responding to their conscience. Paul is not trying to sucker people into the gospel, manipulate emotions into the gospel, invent a clever secret, peddle the deal to the gospel. Every human has a divine understanding in them and it stirs their conscience. And it is really fun when it is confronted by truth. What's well, fun for me? My job is actually quite simple. To give the clear, plain, undiluted, untampered truth. 
and then it is activated in the human conscience. Some callous their conscience and they rely only um, on deception, cunning, clever, craftiness. Because one of the things that I have learned, 17 years of my celebration, truth messes with the conscience. You roll it out there, buddy, and you can watch them. I, I, I don't know how many times I've watched blood vessels sticking out on people's heads. And that's good for me. I'm encouraged by that. Because it's like I said, when the truth goes forth, when my word goes forth, it accomplishes what I send it out for. When it goes out, it's either going to comfort you or convict you. Either way, you win. Ministry. And I'm talking about humble, sincere ministers. Not wise unto themselves. They declare the truth of God as God reveals it. And then it says here, they commend themselves to every man's conscience. Every man's conscience. When you look into the face of Jesus Christ, you see truth. Yeah, it's, it's, I've got an ongoing debate with this retired Denver cop over the age of the planet Earth and evolution. And it's really comical. Okay? If it wasn't so tragic, it'd be really hilarious. But one of the things that I've learned is they immediately find out that I'm a pastor. Therefore, I'm going to slap them with Genesis. And you know what? To date, I've got five different dialogues going with these people on the earth, and I have never used scripture. I use science. If you have a living organism, you have to have a protein molecule. You have to have them. It is a law. So like gravity. You can sit and tell yourself all day long, gravity ain't real. Step out that window. You can do it anywhere. But it's not real. Okay. See ya. Okay. Second law of thermodynamics. Anytime you're spending energy, there's a decline of matter. That is a law. It's non-negotiable. You can't, you know, what's a law? Uh, can I plea bargain it? No. It's a law. If you're going to expel energy, there's a decline in matter. How do we evolve? Well, you just don't use energy. Aha. I've noticed that about you. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? If you have a protein molecule of a snake, it cannot turn into a monkey protein molecule. That takes more faith for that than me to believe that the earth is less than 6,000 years old. And it drives them nuts because they think, well, I ain't going to use the Bible because you haven't read. And that drives them crazy too. But the truth of the matter is, all I'm doing is giving truth. Scientific proof says, no, it's impossible. Well, how do you know God didn't create through evolution? Well, go back to truth, dude. I, 
But we go down the line. I watch marriages. I watch all the things that they hit us with in society. And you just sit there and go, but you haven't read. The simple, straightforward truth. And if you're saved, you will love truth. And if you love truth, you will commit to proclaim it. And I mean, that's how I do it. Someone says something that it goes against the word of God. I just look them in the eye and say, that's a lie. Well, you can't say that. Uh Uh-huh. Why? Well, if it ain't true, then what is it? It's a hyperbole. (laughs) Now, what? Exaggeration for a point. That'd be a lie. (laughs) You know what? That's all there is to ministry. I know you thought there was more to it. It was more complicated and you had to have meetings and committees and and all these other things. But that's not true. (laughs) I just gave you truth. Ministry is, I have a love for truth and I will share that at any given moment that the opportunity arises. And I don't care who it is. I'm not bashful about truth. That's the stuff that you and I have to pay attention to. That is the ministry of preaching. It is a lover of truth. If you want to check the progress of a saint, all you have to do is see how much they love truth. There are too many in the body of Christ who are content with human ideas and human wisdom. Uh, They call it, you need contemporary insights. Uh, What? Contemporary insight? Yeah, contemporary insights. You have a new insight? Isn't that what the Gnostics did? The mystical religions do? I had a, yeah, okay. It is the planning of men to solve man's problems. And he's never been really good at that. That's where you see him get, to use Paul's terminology, crafty. I will do whatever it takes to achieve my purpose. You want to see spiritual growth? One of the things that is killing the church is that there is a low commitment to the love of truth. And if you're truly honest with yourself, whenever you see that, then you can understand emphatically why there is no spiritual growth. The manifestation of truth here, Paul gives us, is open, clear explaining of truth. It's non-diluted. It's not tampered with. Paul spoke truth. The faithful preacher is in a world of biblical truth. We should love the truth. It should be our heart cry. We should long for truth. We should never be satisfied. We should hunger and thirst for truth. Peter says, you should desire as newborn babes the pure milk of truth that you may grow. 
people crowding in to hear truth. And you know what? It don't get any better than that. That's it right there. No God has done a work in that heart if they hunger and thirst for truth. The passion to preach, the passion to hear truth, to see the truth in Christ, to understand the power of truth. As it confronts every man's conscience. It's not clever. It's not cunning. That's salvation, brothers and sisters. There's no secret to it. There's no mystery to it. It's just truth. It's when truth hits that conscience. The conscience is prepared. Truth is, is already in the human heart. The conscience is ready. People hear the truth. It rings in their conscience. And the spirit moves in and acts in saving faith. And then you have an unquenchable appetite for truth. And you know what? As I was looking through this, because it says in the sight of God, even in rejection of truth, it works. Okay? That's why men run. That's why men will become hostile to it. You'll hear them say things about faith is for just weak people. Why? Because... My conscience is bothering me, so I'm going to hit you. <laughs> uh, you guys are, we've been reading Jeremiah. Let's kill Jeremiah. He's saying, listen, you guys are going to get set on fire. Kill him. But that doesn't change the fact he's still going to be set on fire. Yeah, you know what? Here's the deal. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. Either you say, oh my God, he paid the penalty of my sin, or here I am, I'll pay it. That's truth. It's, I've watched people deal with non-believers, and they get frustrated with them. Why do you expect them to act? They're only going to act like non-believers. And so when you bring truth to bear on them, they're probably going to get cranky. Right? Because they still have a conscience. And you bear, bring truth on that conscience. Oh, the war starts. And they'll crank it up. And it won't be the fact that truth is convicting their conscience. It's you're judgmental. Oh, you think you're perfect? <laughs> and that's what they do. Why? Because you done hurt my feelings. And then you get to It's just the way you said it. No, this is the way you heard it. <laughs> My conscience is fine. How about yours? Understand something. And I know this is going to be a shock for you, but understand this. You are in an anti-Christian world. Okay? Do you understand that the United States of America right now is an anti-Christian government? How could that be? Turn the news on. It's easy. Okay? Why? Because when you proclaim straightforward, blunt truth, their conscience don't like that, and therefore, you're the buffoon. 
People don't like their conscience attacked. And Paul's purpose, my purpose, should be your purpose, is straightforward preaching that brings conviction to that conscience. I watch people who are, quote unquote, saying the sinner's prayer because their life is in the toilet and I feel sorry for myself and nothing's going right and I want Jesus to be my Jesus. Okay, where's your conscience? Well, it's about me. It ain't about my conscience. So I'll say the sinner's prayer. Can you show me in the Bible where that's at? I just made a guy mad the other day. He wanted me to do the wedding of his daughter. He says he's a Christian. His daughter's living with a guy up in Boulder. And would you do, because, you know, I'm a Christian. You know, and I kind of consider you my pastor because I came to your church once. You worked on my motorcycle and you're a pastor. So you're kind of my pastor. And I said, (laughs) how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I said the sinner's prayer. I said, can you tell me in the Bible where that's at? Well, it's in there. Just smiled at him, gave him my favorite phrase. Have you not read? And he says, what do you mean? It's not in there. <laughs> you mean you won't do my daughter's wedding? You're right. <laughs> Sorry. Well, why not? I don't know her. And I doubt if she's a Christian. So why don't she go just take her vows in front of a microwave? That's that bluntness that I still exhibit at certain times. That's the kind of stuff you get it. That's what I'm trying to get people to understand. Here's what truth says. I take a blood covenant before God. You want to do that? I'll cut the pig right in the middle. Well, you can't do pigs. I'll cut the bullock and then you both walk through it in the blood and then we'll have the covenant marriage. Are you in? Then we'll have a barbecue. That's the kind of stuff that I deal with at times. And I sit there and I go, are you out of your minds? Well, you know, I watch Charles Stanley on TV. Well, hallelujah. Now, everybody kind of listens to what I'm saying. You think it's kind of comical and you say, you know what? He is that blunt sometimes. Okay, but let me show you what it says. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience. And who am I accountable to? Do you realize I'm not even accountable to you? I'm accountable to God. And if the door is open, then I'm going to walk through it. Listen, we don't have time to say, well, let me see if I can make this understandable for you. No, man, you're a sinner. You're headed for hell. And you will pay the penalty for your sins for eternity, eternally separated from God. That's the path you're on. And if you think you can say some sinner's prayer now, and all of a sudden, do 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 You're sadly deceived. And that's what happens. Why? I have my consciences before God. I have to give an account. That's what he said in verse 17 of chapter 2. But as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Judged by the Lord. If you want to see a noble proclaimer of truth, you will see integrity. There is no deception. 
There's no tampering. There's no diluting. You'll see fidelity. There's no alteration of the word of God. Intelligence. It's not cloudy. It's simple. It's clear. And there's humility. The only boasting is, is I boast in Christ. That's a noble preacher. And the motive to keep that is to answer to God. I do it in the sight of God. You know, I, I, I listen to people. Well, we've got to have an accountability team. Who's Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit? Oh, and God. <laughs> I have an accountability team. We love truth because God is truth. Looking into the face of Jesus, I see the glory of God. And now I'm committed to that truth. I am not condemned by that truth. See, what you're fighting against right now is that people don't want a God. Because if there is no God, guess what? No consequences. I don't have to worry about my conscience. I don't have any problems. Why worry? I can do anything I want to do. But yet I've looked at history and I've seen the church make certain pivotal changes because she was going down the wrong road. And every one of the hinge pins that you see in them changes were done by powerful men of God who spoke truth. Whether it was Martin Luther, whether it was John Calvin, whether it was John Knox, Murray McShane, um, Augustine, uh, Augustus. Uh, you go down the line. Anytime you see the church all of a sudden go, oh, boom, make a sharp turn, you've got one man who says, thus saith the Lord, period. Keep our eyes on Jesus. My favorite preachers ever had his life verse, he called it. He's in glory now. And his life verse was from Paul's letter. Philippians, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Because I watched this little Welsh man. And his eyes were ever focused on Christ. Guess the simplicity of it is uh, the heartache that I think that I carry the greatest burden in the body of Christ is out of 11 of 2 Corinthians verse 3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It's easy to be distracted. I, I, I'll be the first one to admit that. It's easy to be distracted. I've had a very extraordinarily busy couple of three weeks. Okay? I never cheated my time with my Lord because I knew what I'm teaching. You're going to teach this then you're going to walk it. And I never cheated my time in my reading. I never cheated my time in my prayers. And you know what? He brought me through. Now, I'll admit yesterday, boy, I was stoved up. You know what that means? 
You gotta be from south of the Mason Dixon line to understand stoved up. But you spend enough time on big tall ladders, eventually some part of your body says, If God wanted things up there, he'd have made you taller. <laughs> so I don't know why we put things on the ceilings. Why don't we just light the floor? <laughs> anyway. Brothers and sisters, it's keeping my eyes focused on Christ, regardless of what's going on around me. Okay? The more time you spend in Scripture, the less the world will wear on you. Okay? Now, if you don't believe me, then walk with me. And we'll see. Let's pray. Father, to your glory, we walk in the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Father, in each of us this day, would you give us a hunger and a thirst for your word that we may dwell in truth. We would not fall into the crafty deceits of our adversary. Father, help us. Help us to have ears to hear. Father, help us have eyes to see. Father, help us formed into the image of Jesus Christ from glory to glory. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for my brother Paul and what he means to me. I pray that he will become a comfort to my brothers and sisters. And that, Father, we would each walk in this time with our eyes focused upon the heavenlies so we'd be of earthly value to your glory and to your kingdom. Help us, Lord. Strange times. Our adversary is wily. And yet, Father, it is for such a time as this that each of us is here. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to rest full weight upon the Lord of the Sabbath. Your glory and praise. Amen.